and of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. It's quite a change from the previous weeks where the temperature was so cold. And now, anybody feeling warm today? I know where the warmest spot in the church is. As you walk out, the temperature rises very suddenly when you're about to give the homily. So did anybody notice that today is Zacchaeus Sunday? No, if any of you have been in the church for very long, you know that Zacchaeus always occurs sometime around this year. And it is the first announcement that Lent is on its way. And it is the inaugural event pointing us in the direction of our coming Lenten journey, our season of repentance. And the church offers several words or several ideas um, that they're embodied in this gospel, in the person of Zacchaeus, and that is desire. Before we can begin any journey, we have to have desire. And I would add, add to that some other words, anticipation, expectation, and hope. Father Zacharias of Essex, in his book, um, Remember Thy First Love, has a long, a whole chapter devoted to the gospel reading for today, that is, the story of Zacchaeus. And I was tempted just to read you the whole chapter, but I thought that wouldn't necessarily be easy to listen to. So I did find a, a piece I'd like to start off with, which I feel really encapsulates what I would like to say today. I think it says it much better in a more concise way, and so then I will uh, try to expand on that a little bit, but here it is. He says, no matter how greatly we have corrupted our hearts through sin, there comes a time when, like Zacchaeus, we burn with the desire to know the Lord, to know just who he is. No matter how dense the darkness of the pit of sin into which we have sunk, sooner or later the moment comes when the question of eternity refuses to be ignored any longer. We begin to see our past life as one massive betrayal of God, as a wholly unjust offense against Him, and our spirit now yearns for things eternal. For we have begun to see the vanity of anything that does not bear the seal of eternity. This is a crucial moment, for our eternal future depends entirely on the direction we choose to take. And he emphasizes, if we turn to the living God and accept his word, ardently desiring to see the face of the Lord, he will enlighten us and begin his work of salvation in our soul. And we will embark on an adventure with God. All we need is the desire to know him, together with a little humility. This desire is the small part that we offer up to God in faith. And without it, God will not act. To our small part, he then adds the infinitely greater part that is his grace, which enlarges our hearts fourfold and saves us. I should just drop the mic and call it good. 
but I would like to connect his words and ideas to the gospel that we read today and to this season. Now the context for our gospel, it says at that time. Well, at what time? This is the time when Jesus was journeying from the area near the Jordan on the road past and through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. His final trip to Jerusalem. He's told his disciples that he is going up to Jerusalem and he will be betrayed, he'll be beaten, he'll be scourged. He's told them all of what's going to happen and he'll be killed. And in three days he will rise. So he's on this journey. And if we remember from a reading several weeks ago, on this journey, his disciples were amazed because he was out in front. He is resolute. He is on his way to the cross. And he's passing this way. And on this way, he heals several people, including the blind man. Now, by this time in Jesus' ministry, he is famous. He has spoken to huge crowds. He has fed and healed thousands of people by now. Now in the Gospel, Zacchaeus says he sought to see who Jesus was. There was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, who was he? It says he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Now we know from other stories that a tax collector was despised by the Jewish people. He served, he essentially worked for the Romans as a tax collector. And he did this at the expense of the people. And tax collectors were rich because they presumably had some sort of tax office. And right outside or nearby would have been some centurions or some Roman guards. And he was essentially able to extort money from the people to satisfy Caesar but also to satisfy his own appetites. So he was rich, but his riches were ill-gotten. Now, can we imagine his life? Now, we don't see this in the Gospel, but if we imagine what his life must have been like. He's a Jew, but he is serving the occupying forces. He's got, essentially, a great job. It's very lucrative. He's wealthy. He doesn't have to work very hard, probably, at least not physically. He probably has servants. He's essentially a crooked accountant. But can you imagine him as a Jew, suffering the derision of the people? Now, wealth always um, has its benefits, I suppose, and it gives you a place in society. But can you imagine his own cognitive dissonance? I imagine that at this point, he hated his life. He hated his career, but he was trapped. He was trapped by his career, by what he had chosen in the past. He hated being hated. He saw his, his sin, but he was enslaved to it. He was enslaved to his wealth. It would be hard to walk away from such a job. Now, doubtless, he heard of Jesus. He heard of some of his teachings. He heard, probably, that he had transformed lives through healing and the forgiveness of sins. He may even have been a witness just down the road at the healing of Bartimaeus. Something began to burn in his heart. The Holy Spirit was already working. 
And all the commentators say that he was overcome. He was overcome with desire to see, as it says in the Gospel, who Jesus was, to know him in some way. He must have some anticipation that Jesus could help him, some hope that he would be healed. And his burning desire captivated him. Now, maybe he didn't think all these things, but clearly there was something motivating him to do this extreme act. He was obviously compelled by this new desire that he's found in his heart. And what did he do? He ran ahead and he climbed a tree. Now, this is not what you'd expect a grown man to do, a upstanding citizen, um, such as he was, a wealthy person. Imagine the crowd. There's this giant crowd following Jesus through the city on this rather large road through Jericho. Zacchaeus can't see, can't get near. He, he wants an interaction, I think, with Christ. He must have suffered ridicule as people saw him climbing the tree. What are you doing, Zacchaeus, you fool? Jeers came on top of the hatred. And the Gospel says Jesus came to the place. He looked up at him and said to him, maybe not what Zacchaeus was expecting, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I was reminded when I read this again of a children's book that we read our children that had pictures. And it was illustrated and a picture of Christ with this huge smile on his face. And Zacchaeus with this look of absolute surprise. It reminded me of when Jesus encountered the rich young ruler. And it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. So he made haste and came down, and it says he received him joyfully. Now we don't know exactly the context for this. Jesus goes to his house, but he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now, I suspect that there were other things that were said in that meeting. If I could share one more small quote. Zacchaeus' desire made him run ahead and climb a sycamore tree so that he could see the Lord. But what was happening in his heart was visible only to him who is both God and man. The crowd could not see the transformation of his heart nor could they understand the nature of his desire. But even before Zacchaeus had seen him, the Lord had received the perceived the movement of Zacchaeus' heart in a supernatural way with the eyes of his divinity. He saw that the wild and greedy heart of the chief publican had now begun to soften. And melting with desire, he became transfigured so that he was ready to bear within himself the image of Christ. Zacchaeus fulfilled his request to the rich young ruler without even being asked. He said to the rich young ruler, one more thing you need, sell all you have and give to the poor. Zacchaeus, in his 
desire in his enthusiasm for his encounter with the Lord. He says, today, I, I give half of everything I have. And with the half that I have left, I'm going to give fourfold to all those who I had defrauded. Who had he defrauded? Virtually everybody he'd ever taken taxes from. This would have left him completely destitute. And with joy, he offers this to the Lord. How many of us have come to the liturgy today like Zacchaeus, full of desire and hope? How many of us have come with anticipation, with expectation of an intimate encounter with Christ our Lord? How many of us, like him, have come with a broken heart or a broken life or feeling trapped in the sins and the passions or even the circumstances that we have found ourselves in? We come, or some of us have, with a desire for Christ to deliver us. We come with hope. But I suspect many of us have come with low expectations, maybe with little anticipation. Our desire for an encounter with Christ has been weakened, dimmed by our life in this world, by the distraction and the cares of this life. Maybe we came today out of habit, or out of tradition, or because we know we should. Maybe our parents made us. But our desire is weak, and maybe our hearts are a little cold. Well, the, today the church gives us the story of Zacchaeus so that we can be encouraged, and so we can rekindle that desire. We can see it in the life of Zacchaeus, and we can fan the flames of our own desire for the Lord. Through the gospel today, Christ says to each one of us, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is what the Lord is saying to all of us right now. Come down. Hurry. Come down. Humble yourself, for I am ready to make my home in your heart. Allow me to reread a short bit from that opening quote. If we turn to the living God and accept his word, ardently desiring to see the face of the Lord, he will enlighten us and begin his work of salvation in our soul. We will embark on an adventure with God, and all we need is the desire to know him, together with a little humility. This desire is the small part that we offer up to God in faith, and without it, God will not act. But to the small part, he then adds the infinitely greater portion that is his grace, which then enlarges, enlarges our hearts fourfold and saves us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ truly is in our midst, and he is calling us all to himself. In a little while, Christ will once again offer himself to us. In a little while, I mean in the liturgy. He will offer himself to us in the Eucharist. He will offer his body and his blood and his life. 
Saint Sophronius says that this act is an exchange of life. We offer our broken, weak lives to our God, and he offers his healing, resurrection life to us. Because of his immeasurable love for us, he offers us the fullness of himself. He wants to come and stay at our house today. And when we come to him with desire, with anticipation, over and over again, and we offer our small part in faith, our desire, our love, and our hope, if we, like Zacchaeus, will bear a little shame and bring our hearts to him, he will add the infinitely greater part of his grace and will be begin to work in us and continue to work in us. And salvation will come to our house.